Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, I'm so glad to see you in the house of God this weekend. So proud of you for choosing to seek God today. We are in week three of a series called Our Calling. We're really talking about what has God called Connection Point to do? What is our unique calling? And I'm so excited because today we get to wrap up this series by hearing from a mentor of mine who has helped me believe in what God wants to do through me and through us as a church. Let me give you a little background. When God first called me to a church of 40 people in the mountains of Arizona, and I was in my late 20s, I had no idea what I was doing, I started looking at all the churches in the country and dreaming, God, how would you want to use me someday? In the process, I found a church called Eagle Brook in Minnesota and a lead pastor there named Bob Merritt. Now, Eagle Brook, to give you guys a little bit of perspective, here on Easter recently, they had 57,000 people physically in their campuses all around Minnesota. And it's a church that God is using at a scale and size that is almost impossible to comprehend. Bob Merritt is not only a pastor who God used to grow a church from a couple hundred up to that size, he's also a pastor who finished well. Bob retired recently and I've gotten to watch him from a distance and then I never would have imagined got to become friends, and Bob is now a mentor and an advisor to me. Bob has been following along with us these last five years since God moved me here. He's been watching. He now watches almost every weekend, and he'll text me advice and encouragement and coaching. And Bob believes in what God is doing here, not just as someone who has great faith in God, but someone who's seen God use a church to change a city and a state. And I cannot encourage you guys enough right now, if you'd open your hearts, this is a person who's intimately acquainted with Connection Point, who believes in what God's doing here. And I don't think there's a better person in the world to wrap up our vision series about our calling and give us some inspiration about where God's gonna take us these next 25 years as we keep Jesus the head of our church, his word, our guide, and his spirit, our power. So right now, would you open your heart to hear from God? And would you put your hands together and give Bob Merritt a huge Connection Point welcome. Wow, thank you for that warm welcome. I hope I can live up to what Sean just said. Um, You didn't need to clap, Uh, I'm glad you did. But uh, it's truly, truly, truly an honor to be with you at your church connection point. There's two reasons why I'm here today. First of all, I do absolutely love your senior pastor, John. We've become great friends. I believe in what he's doing, how God is leading him and leading you through him. I think John, honestly, is in the top 1% of our nation's finest teachers 
and leaders and uniquely gifted to build a church to impact this entire city and state. I've seen a lot of churches. I've been around a lot of pastors. I watch a lot of pastors. And I can tell you, you have one of the best in the nation. And so I'm just so honored to be on his platform today uh, to be with all of you. Yeah. You know, the second reason, though, the second reason why I'm here today is simply to inspire, or at least to try to inspire and encourage all of you to do for you what someone did for me at an airport a while back. A couple years ago, I was traveling through the Atlanta airport, and I grabbed a Chick-fil-A, and I sat down at the food court, and there was the most delightful grandmother-type lady cleaning tables, just, you know, making sure everything was in order. And it was just on the heels of COVID, and so everybody was in a bad mood. Everybody was ornery, but her goal was to inspire people, to lift their spirits a little bit. And her favorite word was hun. You okay, hun? How you doing, hun? Complete strangers. Everybody was hun. So I, I just said for everybody to hear out loud, I said, do you call everybody hun? She said, sure do. And I kind of smiled, went back to my sandwich. But 10 seconds later, she snuck up behind me and whispered, but I'd call you baby. No kidding. I said, can I get a selfie with you? I said, this just inspires me and disturbs me a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to call anybody here baby today, but I do want to inspire you to think about your life and to think about your church in ways that maybe you haven't lately. Because if you're anything like me, you tend to think less of yourself and less of your church maybe than God does. If you're anything like me, you think, you know, there's always somebody better, always somebody stronger, more gifted, more talented than us, and, what, and, and that what God did through that person or did through that church could never happen here. Gang, I could spend all morning telling you about my personal doubts, my insecurities, and weaknesses. I've got emotional weaknesses. I have battled fear all my life. I've battled anxiety all my life. It's something that I have to lay before God every single day and claim his promises that when I am weak, he becomes strong through me. And I claim that every single day because of my struggle with this issue. I've got physical weaknesses. It's actually a point of humor uh, because whenever someone meets me in person, they're like, really? And I can tell they're not impressed. I mean, my, my eyes are sunken into my head. One ear is lower than the other. Uh, some of you will spend all morning trying to figure out which one that is. And I've got an Adam's apple the size of Wyoming. I mean, take a look at this thing. I mean, it's amazing. So I've got all kinds of things going on here. Very average ability, below average grades all through high school. In college, I almost quit seminary because I got a D in Greek class and bombed a preaching class, and I thought, there's no way I can become a pastor. Finally graduated from seminary. I ended up in a tiny little church in Fallen, Wisconsin, with about 60 people there. There were more deer in the area than there were people, which was fine with me because as an introvert, you know, I really I love people, just don't like them that much. Uh, can I say that? Probably not. Uh, then after five years, five years in that tiny little church, 
I wasn't sure I wanted to be a pastor the rest of my life. So we left my $11,000 a year job. For five years, that's what I was paid, $11,000 in that church. Went back to school at Penn State University. Thought I'd get a degree in communication, maybe teach or whatever, but the three years at Penn State were so difficult. We had two little kids running around, no job, going to school for a full year. I sat in the basement of a Penn State library doing, working on my dissertation, and I just hated it. Every single minute of those three years, I hated it. I was 34 years old, and I would look up at the windows of this library in the basement that had bars on them, and I actually had this thought, I'm in a prison, and I have no idea where my life is going. Finally graduated, came to First Baptist Church of White Bear Lake, Minnesota. That was back in 1991. It was a church of 300 people. And the very first year, all three of my staff quit. So that was nice. And people wondered, though, had they made a mistake in hiring Bob Merritt to be their pastor? Now, I give you that very brief background because nobody, I can tell you this for sure, Nobody on the planet would have predicted or expected that our church would amount to anything. There was nothing about us. There was nothing about me that people would have said, man, they're going places. Nobody knew we existed. There was nothing about me or our church that people would have said, God's going to use that church to reach others for Christ in a massive way. I love what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said, look, I came to you in weakness and fear. I love that he admits that. I'm just a weak person who's afraid a lot. And then he said this, my preaching was not with wise or persuasive words. So here's this weak man, he's afraid a lot, and his preaching is mediocre. I love that he just says that in the Bible. So what was his key? How did this weak man, Paul, change an entire civilization for Jesus Christ? And we're still talking about him today. Here's what he said next. I just came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It was simply God's Spirit working through him. So I brought all my fears and insecurities to this little church in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. And I said, God, I'm weak and afraid. And we're just a small church, but if you'll use us, we'll do whatever it takes to reach other people for Christ. You know, one of the verses that became foundational for us in those early days was 2 Chronicles 16, 9. And it says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth, searching. God is just searching for people. He's looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. And we said, we want to be those people who are fully committed, willing God to do whatever you want. We didn't, gang, we didn't know anything about setting goals or strategies or budgets. Didn't know how to train leaders or manage a staff. I knew nothing about this stuff. All we had was a commitment and willingness to do whatever it took to reach people. So we started with 300 people and no staff. 
25 years later, we were a church of 30,000 people and 400 staff, and we never saw it coming. Never saw it coming. There was nothing about us, I'll say it again, that was unique. There was nothing about us that was special except a willingness and a commitment to reach our neighbors, friends, and family members. And that commitment, by the way, drove how we taught, how we did music, how we designed our buildings and hired staff. Everything we did was done with the purpose, will this reach people who are far from Christ? We designed everything that way. Just to give you a quick visual, this is the original White Bear campus uh, in Minnesota there. My first year, again, was basically a wash. In fact, people, some people just left. But then some newer families started coming. And by year two, we had grown from 300 to 400. And we made a critical children, children's pastor hire. Her name was Luann. And Luann was fearless. Just this big personality. She came in like a hurricane. And if Luann wanted to knock down a wall to create a better space for kids, that, that wall was gone. No kidding. I would come on a Tuesday morning to work. And I'd, I'd say, what happened to this wall? And someone would say, well, Luann came through and just blew the thing up. And it was unbelievable. She got away with murder in the early, early days. I don't know how she did it, even without my permission, but I loved it. Then we made another critical hire. Hired a worship leader with long hair, and which I like long hair. I wish I had some. But hired a worship leader who had enough rock and roll in him to pull it off, but enough humility that he didn't offend everybody. It took us three years to finally let the robed choir die off. Took us another year to remove this enormous organ that took up all kinds of space on our stage but I knew if we removed it too soon, it would cause a revolt. So I just let it sit there, unused, for a full year until finally we just made it disappear. By year four, we had grown to 1,000 people, and there were some critics who kept yelling at me for the music or whatever. I, I still have scars on my soul from those early battles or early years. But then Luann built a children's wing. I don't know how she did it, but she did. And, you know, a year later, we built a new worship space. But as soon as the footings were dry, we knew it was too small. By year eight, we'd grown to 3,000 people. We were doing seven services back to back to back on the weekend, preaching seven services, music team, it was just killing us. I mean, it was destroying our staff. There were, there were casualties all over the place. But eventually, it landed me in front of a counselor for a full year to get my soul sorted out and try to reduce my stress. My stress, And it was, it was a tough year. But essentially, what happened after that is a few of us, board members and senior level staff, made a decision. Basically risked our careers, bought 80 acres of land, took on $20 million of debt. And we built a new campus in a place, a suburb called Lionel Lakes, Minnesota. The plan was to close the original White Bear campus because we needed the money. 
But as soon as we opened this Lionel Lakes campus, it filled up. And so we reopened the White Bear campus, and that became our first multi-site. And I can just tell you this. Every single bit of this was hard. We didn't know if any of it would work, but we just stayed committed and willing. And in 2005, we opened the Lionel Lakes campus, and within a year, we shot from 4,000 to 8,000 people. Then we got a call from a dying church in a nearby suburb called, called Spring Lake Park, and Spring Lake Park became our third campus, an older church. They had about 40 people left, but the day we reopened, we renovated that church for about $2 million, the day we reopened that church, 1,200 people came and just overwhelmed that campus. I mean, the police showed up, there was parking problems all over the place, the neighbors were upset. Uh, but eventually, Spring Lake Park became so crowded that we built a fourth campus in a, a suburb called Blaine, Minnesota. And uh, three years later, the campus in Blaine went from zero to 3,000 people. And I just got to tell you, whatever God was doing, it, it shocked us all. And we just, we just tried to keep up with what he was doing but I had this ache in my heart for a suburb east of us called Woodbury, and they were exploding in growth, you know, demographically, and there's just a whole bunch of sinners over in Woodbury, as those of you who are watching today from Minnesota know, if you live there in Woodbury, you know there's a whole, yeah, I mean, we're all sinners, but some places. So in 2011, now this is, this is 20 years in, that's important to understand. You're five years in with John. Okay, 20 years in, we opened our fifth campus at the Woodbury High School. We averaged about 1,600 people for three years. Until 2014, we built our Woodbury campus, which is now our largest campus. Five years later, the Woodbury campus, 11,600 people came to an Easter service, and 548 of them gave their life to Christ and began a new life with him. Yeah, so that's what it's all about. And it's just incredible what's happening. Then, because Blaine became so crowded, we started Campus 6 at Anoka High School. And three years later, in 2017, we remodeled a Kmart in the Anoka area. And the following Easter, 8,800 people came to Anoka. Best thing that's ever happened to a Kmart in the world, I mean, ever, <laughs> came to Easter services at a Kmart. And then we opened Campus 7 uh, at Wyzetta High School, and the following Easter at Wyzetta, 2,600 people showed up. Campus 8 was in Lakeville High School that frankly struggled, but three years later, we bought a Menards, saved big money, <laughs> repurposed, I hate that commercial, re <laughs> repurposed the Menards, and five months ago, you know, just six, uh, five months ago, we opened up, and just six or seven weeks ago, 5,000 people showed up at Easter at a Menards in, uh, in Lakeville area. Unbelievable. Now, sometimes people will ask me, Bob, how did this happen? As if there's some secret or some magic, you know, bullet. I can tell you, gang, there is no secret. There's no amazing breakthrough 
It's simply 25 years of grinding it out, of showing up, paying attention to detail. Details matter. They really matter. Every weekend I was on top of details. Hiring, firing the right people, and every bit of it was hard. It is not easy to raise money, find staff, build campuses, deal with criticism, and produce weekend services that you can actually bring and invite your family and friends and neighbors to, classmates and coworkers, to create a weekend experience that you would be proud and you feel great about inviting your lost neighbors and friends to. But when I see what happened, I'll tell you what, to a little church that was willing and committed. I'm just so grateful for what God did and continues to do, and I'd sign up for it all over again. Now, that's our story. I wonder today what your story will be. Actually, I think I know what it's going to be. I think you're in for a miraculous, astounding next 5, 10, 15 years. I really do. Some of you might be wondering if it's worth it. I get it. You're in a great spot. Why mess with it? Can I give you three reasons why to mess with it? Reason number one, God wants a relationship with every human being that will heal their families, forgive their sins, and fill them with a new kind of love, joy, and purpose. It's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ that'll change their life, just like he's changed ours. Second reason I think you ought to do this, you have a pastor whose passion is to reach people for Christ, and he is giving his life to it. Uh, you're not going to like me much for this, but four years ago, we tried to hire John <laughs> as our teaching pastor. We'd done a nationwide search. We used a search uh, company, and John was our number one guy. And so we went after him hard. You know what he said? He said, I could never do that to our church. I need to, I need to honor my commitment to the people here. I said, can I talk to your wife, Mel? Just give me the phone. I mean, we just pressed. I called them three or four times. And my view of John went from here to here when he said no. I'm committed. You have an opportunity to link arms with one of the nation's best leaders and build something that's going to reach tens of thousands of people during the next 25 years. Gang, not because you need it necessarily, but because your city does. Our state does. Our nation needs churches like this, Jesus said to him, much is given, much is required. I can tell you, you've been given much as a church. And I just want to say, don't miss this rare opportunity to be in on the ground level, to reach your classmates, coworkers, and friends for Christ that'll change them and change you forever. You have all the pieces. The only question is, will you be willing to do it? And I believe you will. Third reason why I think you ought to do this, there's no plan B. There's no plan B. 
The church is it. You live in a city of 2 million people. There's 100,000 people within a golf shot of your church who need the love, truth, and hope of Christ. And how are they going to find it? I love in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was just starting his ministry. Hadn't said a word. But he recruited three fishermen, Peter, James, and John, to join him. And the first thing Jesus said to these three guys was this. If you follow me, I will make you fishers of men and women. The very first words Jesus ever said to his followers were not about heaven and hell. We're not about sin. We're not about even love or prayer, politics, or forming a Bible study. He said, look, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. The number one activity Jesus calls us to is to fish for people. Why? Because only Jesus can change a human heart. Government cannot change a human heart. Education can't change a human heart. Sports teams, businesses can't change a human heart. Only Jesus, through a vibrant church, can heal a marriage, can forgive sins, can save a dad, cure an addiction, deliver someone from a life of sin and crime. Man, when you... When we look and take an honest look at the condition of our inner cities, for example, these days, seven out of 10 kids are being raised without a dad. What's the solution to that? And to the human wreckage and loss that that causes. Will our universities solve that problem? Not a chance. Our universities are gone spiritually. Will our government solve this issue? How about kids' sports teams? And I know this is a delicate issue. But every Sunday morning, the hotels around our country and here in Indianapolis are filled. Sunday morning are filled with coaches, parents, and kids playing soccer tournaments, baseball, you name it. And I get it. I'm a sports guy, love sports, watch sports, involved in sports, my kids, grandkids. But God in church, for many of these folks, isn't even on their radar. It used to be Sunday mornings were sacred. You wouldn't touch Sunday mornings. Coaches, you know, they understood. Not anymore. That's gone. Gang, the gravitational pull in our country away from God and away from church is so strong There's only one thing that's going to turn that. I believe it's a vibrant church that is so compelling and so committed to leading people to faith that people will will then adjust their schedules. They will adjust their lives to be a part of it because they don't want to miss what God is doing. Gang, we're it. There is no plan B. Jesus said in Luke 15, There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent because they already have. Who's the 99? We are. Who's the one? It's every lost person who needs Christ. 
Jesus said there's more joy in heaven when just one of these people come to Christ and come to faith than over the 99 rest of us who are already in a relationship with the Lord that's changed our life. Several years ago, I traveled to Brazil to mentor a pastor we were helping there, and we'd become very good friends. And so Nelio said to me, he said, Pastor Bob, when you come to Brazil, we must go to Rio de Janeiro, and when we are there, you must buy a Speedo <laughs> to wear on our beautiful beaches. I said, Nelio, I love you like a brother, but I wouldn't be caught dead in a Speedo. He said, every man in Brazil wears a Speedo to the beach. You must wear one or you will look like an American tourist. His wife, Flavia, said, yes, Pastor Bob, you must get a Speedo. You will like it, she said. <laughs> so against all, against all wisdom, I went and bought a Brazilian Speedo. Do you remember in Genesis when Adam tried to cover himself with a fig leaf? That's kind of what it felt, felt like. But are you ready for this, children? Cover your eyes. Here we are on Cabana Beach. <laughs> My daughter took that picture. She couldn't bear to look either. <laughs> My daughter Megan was 15, had never traveled internationally. So she was a little out of sorts to begin with. And contrary to some of the ads you see in Rio, it's about Rio, it's actually a very dangerous and dirty place. Garbage all over the beaches, open prostitution, right across from hotels that spill out in the beaches, pickpockets, assault happen in broad daylight. You never walk alone in Rio, never. But right after my daughter took that picture, I wanted to go running. I was a runner back then, don't do that much anymore. You know, I had jet lag, been sitting on my backside for three days. I just had this, this angst. I had to do something. I had to run. So I said, Nelio, can we do this? We were down on the main drag. This is what it looks like, typical day in Rio. Thousands of people from all over the world. And I was nervous about leaving my daughter alone while we take this run. I said, Nelio, what about Meg? Is it going to be safe for her? If we do this, he said, Bob, no problem. We can run that way. Meg can walk in the same direction. We'll meet her on the way back. I was still nervous, so I said, I said, Nelio, I don't know about this. He said, she'll be fine. We'll just run a couple miles, come back. So we took off, and we left this 15-year-old girl standing all alone thousands of miles from home, and within seconds, she disappeared in this sea of humanity, and I lost sight of her. It was quite possibly the dumbest thing I've ever done. And three minutes into it, I panicked. I said, Nelio, I've got a horrible feeling about this. i got to go back. I had thoughts of somebody singling her out, kidnapping her, never seeing her again. So we spun around, and my panic turned into this wild alarm as I craned my neck, scanning the crowd for the one person who mattered more to me than anything in the world, any sight of her walking my way. A couple of years ago, I was reliving this event with my daughter, and I asked her if she remembered that day, and she said, yes, why did you leave me? I said, I know, dumbest thing I ever did. 
I ran through the crowd a few minutes later. I somehow spotted her. Blonde hair amongst a lot of dark-haired people. And I ran. I bolted for her. I hugged her, kissed her. I held on to her. And I vowed I would never do something so stupid again in my life because when someone you love is lost, you'll do anything to find her and save her. Most of us will never lose a child physically by abduction. But all of us have neighbors, classmates, or friends who are lost spiritually and separated from God. I I think there's teenagers all over this city without a mom or a dad who feel lost and wonder, why did you leave me? Who will rescue me? I think there's university students who feel completely steamrolled by a university culture that attacks their morals and assaults their souls, and they wonder, why do I feel so lost? Why do I feel so empty? I think all of our neighborhoods are single moms who are barely hanging on, and they're saying, who will help me? Who will save me? Young couples who can't conceive or have lost a child, quietly asking God, where are you? We feel so lost in this. I mean, the list goes on and on of people who feel abandoned and separated from God but don't know how to find him. Gang, I think you're the church that's gonna fight through the crowd and help people find their way to the Father by the thousands. I believe in this church. I believe in each person here. God is going to use every single one of you. As you think about a person in your life who doesn't know Christ and is just wandering through this world, who is that person? They come, to, they come into your mind, their face, their name. Start praying that God would give you an opportunity to invite him to church. A few years ago, I'll conclude with this. I was at our outdoor baptism, and a 10-year-old little girl came up to me, never met her before in my life, and she said, can I give you a hug? And she was as sweet as could be, so I bent over, and she gave me the most genuine hug. And then she looked up at me, and she said, this church saved my daddy. And I just wanted to hug you because this church saved my dad. She and her family were getting baptized that day. Two years prior to this, they had started coming to church, but her dad, Luis, refused to come. Luis is not her biological dad, struggled with addiction and anger, and she said they kept inviting him over and over, and finally he came. His wife, Joanne, wrote these words to me, She said, the message that day was about people who had lost their way. And halfway through, I saw my husband's eyes swell up, and he couldn't contain his emotion. At the end of the service, the campus pastor invited anybody who prayed to receive Jesus that day to come up after the service and to tell him about it. Joanne said, Luis practically ran up front 
to tell him that he had prayed the prayer to receive Christ into his life. Joanne writes, since that day, he hasn't missed a service. She said he's become a patient and loving dad to their four children who are not his own. But Luis said, God gave me these fatherless children so I could be a father to them. Now look at this picture. I just want to ask you, what's that picture worth? How important is it for lost dads to become found? Imagine those two little boys in this picture growing up with a dad who is angry, addicted, and wants nothing to do with God or church. Every little boy needs a dad who will love him. Say how proud he is of him and who will lead him to faith in Christ. Every little girl longs for a daddy who will love her and remind her how valuable and precious she is. And gang, when that's missing, little girls often go searching for affection in all the wrong places. So when little Teresa hugged me and said, this church saved my daddy, I was struck all over again why Jesus said, I will leave the 99 and go after the lost one every time. Because here's the truth, when daddies get saved, families have hope. When families, daddies get saved, little girls and little boys are so happy, they just gotta hug somebody. And I'm just so grateful that most of you, most of you get that it's not about us 99 mainly. It's about those who've wandered off and are so lost, they don't even know it. So the three reasons why I think this church ought to do whatever it takes to reach others for Christ. Number one, God wants a relationship with every human being that'll change their life. Second, you have a pastor who's humble, so gifted. He's committed. He's giving the next 25 of his years of his life, along with his family, Mel and his family, to reach others. Link arms with them. And finally, there's no plan B. If it's not us, who? If not now, when? Thank you for allowing me to be with you today. I truly do love this church. I love what God is doing through you. And I'm just continuing to pray for you and try to honor you by helping John and doing whatever I can to be a source of encouragement to all of you. Thanks, everybody. God bless all of you. Yep. Thank you. Well, that, that was emotional uh, for me to hear, and um, I hope you're with me. I hope you're with God. I hope you're in agreement with what Bob presented to us today, God's heart to reach the lost. We've been studying the last couple months that God responds to faith in action, and we've seen that as a church in the last five years and, and years prior to that. 
And we're in a season right now where we're stepping out in faith again. And so here's what this looks like today. That booklet that's on your seat, if you open it up to the back flap, there's a little card in there that says, Our Calling, My Commitment. Now, if you're our guest, we don't expect you to commit to something that you're not part of. But if you would say Connection Point is my church, then I want to invite you to be part of what God is doing and not miss out on what he wants to do through you in changing a city. Uh, everything Bob mentioned wouldn't have happened without the faithful people in the church inviting, praying, serving, giving, sacrificing. And the fact that we're getting to baptize people here pretty much every week, new believers coming to Christ, is because of every single one of us being willing to do our part. I love that verse that Bob shared, that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro. They range across the earth seeking who will step out in faith, who will actually believe in me enough that I can use them. And Connection Point, I'm just so proud of you as a church that that we are, we are people who God is partnering with. And so here's what's gonna happen. I wanna give you a few minutes to fill out this card. There's a pen in your seat. Go ahead and grab that pen, grab your card. And I filled this out a couple times and I timed myself. It took me 120 seconds. So make sure you get both sides, your information on one side, and then what God's leading you to give on the other side. If you missed the last two weeks, everything you give over this next year will be doubled up to $2 million. That's because there are 15 families in our movement who have led the way with generosity to put up a $2 million matching gift. This is gonna allow us to launch our location in Carmel while continuing to not miss a beat in our next generation ministries and everything we're doing in Avon and here in Brownsburg as well. And so please step in with us we're about to watch a video. You can fill out your card during this video. It's about four minutes. And then we'll give about a minute at the end of the video so that if you haven't finished, you can finish. You'll see four options on there. Pick the one that best describes how you want to experience God's faithfulness in your life. Uh, and as you pray, as you seek God during this time, I just want to remind you this is about you and God it's sacrifice as an act of worship. Uh, and after we all fill out these cards, we don't pass an old school offering anymore these days, but we're actually gonna pass some buckets and you'll have a chance to put your commitment in today uh, as an, a moment of worship for you and God. So right now you're gonna see one more story of a family in our church who has seen God work in their lives as they've chosen to seek him in their finances. Jesus said, where your treasure goes, your heart follows. And it's a true, it's a spiritual law of physics in our world. If you place your treasure into the kingdom of God, your heart will follow. It affects your marriage and everything else. So go ahead and watch this video. And as you do, start to fill out your card and I'll be back out at the end. When we got married, I just assumed we'd tithe because that's how I was raised. My dad tithed, he taught us about tithing. I just thought it was a thing everyone did. And so I brought that information to Mark who wasn't raised in the church and had never tithed and he was a little bit hesitant. I grew up in church. Uh, we went three times a week. We were always there. Um, so I don't, re I don't remember a time in my life where I wasn't at church as a child. Uh, mine was different, so I grew up 
uh, probably a Christian in name, but we really didn't go to church terribly often other than you know, maybe Easter and Christmas and things like that. And then certainly in college, I didn't go to church at all. In fact, I would just say I was probably anti-church at that point in my life. Um, and then in my early 20s is when I came back to the church. You know, one of the lies the world tells you is that you're supposed to accumulate as much as you can, that you shouldn't give it away. Like everyone else is taking care of themselves, so you need to take care of you and your family first, right? And, you know, as a young person, I mean, at the time we were making very little money. You were still a student, so we joke it was negative money negative. at that point. <laughs> and I was just starting out in my career. And so, you know, what the world would say is, why would you ever do that at that point in your life? But for me, it was, you know, a couple of sermons and reading what God says in his word about it and basically coming to the conclusion like, well, we ought, we ought to at least give it a shot. Whenever they did a uh, building kind of fund for Kid City, Pastor Steve did that initiative. He got together with a lot of the individuals in the church and, and asked like, hey, you're already giving, can you give above and beyond what your normal giving level would be? And so we did step out in faith and give to that initiative and it's been amazing. We got to see it you know, go up, we got to see it be built, we got to see our kids transition over there. And now two of them have transitioned out of Kid City over to the middle school area. And just the benefit to them, to our family, to their faith has been amazing. Well, well worth what we gave. If you follow that thread through and you look at what the church is doing today, um, you know, we're creating the next, next generation of warriors for God. And not only are we stopping this trend of, of young people walking away from the church, we're almost, we're reversing it, actually. We're bringing more people to the church. I see it in our kids' friends. I'd never actually traced that all the way. I mean, that was years ago. You traced that back to that little, that little seed that was planted, and now it goes forward, and look how many lives are impacted. And, you know, we're a 200-year-old church. Think of the next 200 years of when all these people and what they're going to do out there just by that little, little seed from all those people. I always think of the verse Matthew 25, 29, that says, those who use what they're, use well what they're given, much will be given, and there will be an abundance. And I think that's been completely true for us. Mm -hmm. We try to faithfully use our resources and God keeps blessing us. I think when we first started doing it to Mark, it was it was just, it was kind of a test and let's see if this will work, let's see if we have enough finances to do this, how are we going to pay the bills, is this something that we want to continue? Before I became a Christian, I would have said probably what most of us have heard outside the church about the church and money, um, you know, and it's some version of, like the only reason the church exists is to get your money and they're doing something nefarious with it that you can't see. I think now what I realize is, just think for, from a pure investment standpoint. Now, now that I know what really matters in life, that it isn't how big my bank account gets or what kind of car I buy or whether or not I can you know, afford a vacation. Now that I know what really matters in this life as well as beyond, I don't really think there's a much better investment you can make than, than doing that, right? And it, it took a while to see it, it really did. It took a while to kind of draw the, all the lines between things for me and to see um, kind of how all the pieces fit together. Pro probably, I mean, it wasn't days or weeks, it was, it was months or years for me to kind of fully all the way, all the way get there. Um, but now that I see it, it, it just seems obvious to me. And, and now, obviously, it's just, you know, part of our lives. We wouldn't 
even imagine not giving. Um, it's just, I feel like what, what I was made to do with my spiritual gift being giving, I just feel like that was my calling. Father, I want to pray right now for every person over at Avon here in Brownsburg. Lord, as each of us, um, Lord, we're doing our best to choose you. It's a spiritual battle in our hearts and in our souls to seek first your kingdom, to put you and others above ourselves. Lord, we pray even in this moment that your Holy Spirit would bring to our memory those truths we've been learning from your word and, and we've experienced at one level, but you want to take us to the next. That if we will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you'll meet all our needs. And not only that, Father, you do things in us and around us and for us that money could never buy. Peace, identity, purpose restored relationship. God, I just want to pray right now as we prepare to have a moment of worship where we give you our sacrifices. Lord, I want to pray a blessing over every one of my brothers and sisters, everyone who's battling through the fear and the doubt and the noise to choose you and to choose your work. I pray, God, just that you would bless them in their inner being with a peace that money cannot buy. I pray, God, that you would provide for them and for their families financially. God, I pray a blessing uh, over this movement, but ever, over every single individual in it. Lord, I've seen wildfires be headed toward a home and it burn everything around, but not the house a house of faith where people were praying and you spared the home. And God, in a similar way, we don't know what this next year holds in our lives and in our world and in the economy, but I would pray such a, a deliverance and provision and just divine protection over every single person here who chooses you and chooses your work. God, right now, as, as we worship you and we place these commitments in. It's a covenant from us to you. And we know that you respond to faith. We pray that you'll respond by growing our faith and by blessing us. But Lord, most importantly, by working through us to reach a world in need, to change a city, to change a generation, to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask or imagine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you guys want to stand with me, we're going to worship, and you'll see these buckets pass by, and as it passes by, you can drop your commitment in there as an act of worship. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.